0: Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome quick shout out to our awesome Patreon community, Sarah, Sheila, Steve, and Tom. I'm so grateful for your continued support. If you are listening and you haven't yet joined our Patreon community, now's a great time. You can join with a support level as low as just three bucks a month. And your support keeps this good work going, keeps all the episodes available online. So thank you. Links are in the show notes. I am your host, Jen Hill Christie, and I guess we're still in season five. Uh, We've been on a pretty long break, So today's episode is kind of different. Um, I have titled it a woman of noble character, the eulogy I should have given. And just a quick note, uh, selections from Proverbs 31 are woven throughout. We lived in four states by the time I was 11. New acquaintances always asked if we were military. No, my dad is a statistician, I would say. (laughs) Blink, 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 blink. Uh, He's a scientist. He works in pharmaceuticals, you know, prescription drugs. Uh, Oh, okay. I guess it was strange to everyone but us moving around as we did. As a teenager, I started to lament the missing sense of home that others seemed to have. My friends had roots in our community that went deep, stretching back generations. And we were more like saplings that might at any moment be plucked up and moved again. They had grandparents and cousins and aunts and uncles nearby, and we were this lone family of six living in Northern California, the nearest relatives, 900 miles away in Northeastern Washington State, and we almost never saw them. Gratefully, we remained in that one spot from the time I was 11 until the middle of my sophomore year of college. But while we were you know, somewhat established in the community, it still wasn't the generational depth that I longed for. I wanted cousins to play with and grandparents' houses to go to for birthdays and holidays and aunts and uncles to come to our games and our shows. I wanted to grow up surrounded by land that my ancestors had farmed and, and cemeteries where we would go visit them. We've never had a a family home with my parents. Um, Right now they're living in their eighth house in my lifetime, but my grandparents' house in Oklahoma City It served as like a proxy family home for us. When we lived in the Midwest, we visited all of our Oklahoma family two or three times a year, going for holidays and summer trips. We didn't take vacations uh, like a lot of other people did. Um, Basically, our vacations were road trips to visit family. That's it. We never went to Disneyland or other places like that. We didn't go to the beach. We just drove to visit family. And those trips were magical. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're real humans who are equal parts monster at times. We had this big brown Chevy conversion van that we affectionately called the Cheese Mobile. I can still hear the sound of the mini blinds tapping in the window frames as we drove through the night. Uh, My mom always liked to drive through the night because she hoped that we would just sleep through it and leave her alone. My sister and I took turns stretching out in the back seat or the back end, dozing in and out to juice Newton's greatest hits playing on the cassette player. And then there was this telltale rhythm of the bumps of patched asphalt. And when we felt that and we heard that under the tires, we knew that we had finally arrived at my grandparents' house. They built that house 50 years ago now. It was 1972 and 95% of the house and its contents remain unchanged. They had to replace the carpet a couple times and they had couches recovered at least once new family photos were added to the old ones in the hallway over the years, but there's this mantra. I'm sure you've heard it a place for everything and everything in its place. I never heard my grandmother say those words. She never said that phrase that I heard, but never have I met anyone to whom this applied more strongly. She designed the house that they built, and let me tell you, she thought of everything. Each measurement was precisely tailored to suit the furniture that she had chosen or what she already had and where she intended to put it. And then that furniture, once it got in there, it was never, ever rearranged. It's hard to believe that they lived this way all those years. I mean, we are so accustomed to replacing things, even if they're not broken or gone. Um, We upgrade to better technology. We upsize, we downsize, we rearrange. Um, I love rearranging, but not grandmother. Lamps, couches, end tables, bar stools, everything is the same as when I was born. The uh, living room, the living and dining room, like the way it was finished and furnished, it could accommodate the exact number of round folding tables and chairs that she planned to use for all their entertaining. And as the wife of a preacher, she did a lot of entertaining. Proverbs 31 says, a wife of noble character who can find She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. It wasn't just entertaining. She and my grandfather believed so strongly that it was their Christian duty to visit shut-ins and widows and provide meals for the hungry. Sometimes when we went to visit them on our vacations, um, we would accompany them to a nursing home or a home visit, um, or they would have a widow come and join us for dinner. They delivered meals on wheels for decades. When I was in seminary, my grandfather urged me to impress upon my male classmates just how important it was to visit people in their homes and to have church members in in your own home. He really thought that was slipping away um, from pastoral ministry, and, and it was the duty of preachers and their spouses to maintain and encourage that spirit of hospitality. And in case you're wondering, no, he never quite understood or accepted that, I was not actually there in seminary, hoping to become the wife of a preacher, Um, but in fact I was there nervously listening for my own call. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. Grandmother Ruth was born during the Depression era, and that experience manifested in her life as extreme frugality, modesty, and thrift but we never saw her as poor or lacking anything. She clipped coupons and she shopped sales and those pennies that she pinched, she put those all into a jar that she called the kitty. And then when we would come to visit, she dipped into the kitty to take us out for ice cream at Brahms or to go bowling. She grew and canned vegetables and she harvested pecans from her backyard. When you ate at grandmother's house, you were eating corn and potatoes and green beans and okra and carrots and spinach and beans. And I know there's other things I'm forgetting. Um, you were eating all of that stuff from her garden. She canned pickles and beets and she made her own jams. Clothing that was stained or ripped got treated and mended. They never had more than would fit in their closets and dressers, and they rarely replaced or added to their wardrobes. She reused foil and parchment and Ziploc bags endlessly. Empty Cool Whip containers and twist ties and empty jars of store-bought jelly, those were things to be kept and reused over and over again. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She gets up while it is still night. She provides food for her family. One of my favorite memories of visiting grandma's house is waking up to the sounds and the smells of her kitchen. She was a great cook. And for most of my life, she made almost everything from scratch. When we visited, she took us to the grocery store and she let us pick out boxes of sugar cereal, which was a rare treat but what we really loved were the homemade biscuits and chocolate gravy. That's what we asked for. That's what we were waiting for when we would go visit. I always thought that we were the only people in the world who ate chocolate gravy, but apparently it's an Arkansas thing, and that's where she grew up. So go figure. She had this tiny little cast iron skillet that she would use to make us a single fried egg or scrambled egg um, if we got up late, you know. And she'd already made it for everyone else in the big skillet. Um, And she often had like bacon or sausage going on the stove while the biscuits cooked in the oven. Later in life, she mostly moved like made the Sunday rolls, a different type of bread, but. Growing up, it was all about the biscuits. They weren't too sweet, so they were perfectly complemented by the chocolate gravy. My mouth is watering just thinking about them. My mom never really cooked breakfast, so it was just at grandma's house. Like It was that rare treat that I would wake up to those delicious smells of bacon and biscuits cooking in the oven. Wasting anything um, was really strongly frowned upon by my grandmother, and all of the food scraps um, got composted for the garden. But she wasn't a hippie. She was modest. She was self-restrained. She was conservative and prudent and conscientious. She was reducing, reusing, and recycling way before it was popular. She really sought to embody what she understood to be the wife of noble character of Proverbs 31. The wife conducts herself and her home in ways that bring respect and honor to her husband and her family name. She speaks with wisdom and gives faithful instruction. Grandma Ruth never ate the bread of idleness. If there was a meal to prepare or dirty dishes in the sink to wash, she did not sit down until the job was finished. And when she sat down, it was to fold laundry and snap green beans and edit the weekly bulletin or shell pecans. As kids, we were expected to pitch in too. It was on that couch where I learned how to snap green beans and how to shell pecans. That's also where I learned how to bind curriculum with a comb binder. She wrote all the curricula for the children's classes at church, and she made flannel graphs to go with each les- lesson. Totally dating myself here. Um, you might not know what a flannel graph is, but it was this, like these cool boards where it was made of flannel. And then there were these little characters that were also made of flannel, so they would cling to one another. Um, Really fun for kids. So in the guest room at their house, the closet has dozens and dozens of these little boxes that are neatly labeled, they're organized, they have all the flannel characters, animals and other objects, um, so that the teachers could tell Bible stories with these movable visual aids. So like, you know, each story or each lesson is like its own little box in there. And I would play with those flannel graphs for hours as a kid, teaching, teaching those stories to imaginary students. My grandmother was a teacher all her life. She taught preschool at church, and she took every opportunity to teach us at her house as much as we would sit still to listen. But she also taught so much by example. For better or worse, I too cannot sit still if there are chores to be done. Waste of any kind, it's almost physically painful to me. Having a tidy, organized, clean home, high priority over here. We played a lot of games at my grandmother's house Rummy Cube and Skippo, Racco and Dominoes, Rook and Canasta. I was really partial to games that involve strategy and partners. And grandmother was competitive. She was never a sore loser, but she loved to win. I don't remember her ever intentionally letting someone else win. Like from the time we were little, it just wasn't a thing that was done in our family. Everyone played to win, regardless of their age. I think I actually have more like really clear memories um, of like my grandparents' house for the first 10 years of my life than I do in our actual house that I like lived in on a day-to-day basis. Well, three different houses in those 10 years, but still like I have more memories of times at my grandparents' house. And one day soon, that house is not going to belong to anyone in our family. It's been the family home my entire life, but that's going to change. And that loss is like, it feels heavier than I expected it to because I mean, it's just a house, but having never had that kind of permanence with my own parents and siblings, it feels like their house is the closest I ever got. And throughout the years, I've gone back to visit as often as I could. I mean, in spite of our significant differences in theology and other beliefs, they were my grandparents. And although our relationship was very complicated for a long time. I knew that they loved me the best way they could. Last year, grandmother's health declined over um, several months and really took a sharp dive in the fall. So my parents, um, sensing the end was near, they booked one-way tickets to go and be with her. I mean, she was ready to go. She had been ready to go ever since my grandfather passed more than three years ago. So don't get me wrong, she didn't sit around waiting to die. She continued to be active with volunteering and hosting, teaching her homemaking classes to girls and her bachelor classes to boys. It was really important to her that young people knew how to mend a shirt, how to prepare a meal, set a table, and conduct themselves with good manners. Manners, super important. She was almost 92 when she passed in October. My siblings and I got on planes in our respective corners of the country, and we converged together in this place that felt so much like home, but also foreign, where we'd only been together as adults twice, ever. First for Papa's 90th birthday celebration, and then for his funeral, and now for her funeral. And his death um, signified a different kind of loss for me. Uh, when my grandfather died. There was the normal stuff, um, you know, like knowing I wouldn't ever hear his goofy dad jokes again or see the perfect deadpan. I mean, he was like brilliant at the deadpan. I knew I would miss how much he loved to laugh and what a good storyteller he was. He was a really good preacher too. And I grieved that he would never really, he never really knew who I was. He would never know or accept or understand that I had faithfully served the church just like he had. While he was in the Navy, he became a preacher and he remained a preacher until the day he died. I saw myself like walking in that legacy and I felt connected to him in that way, but that connection felt unrequited and his death assured that it it would always remain that way. Grandmother's death felt more like an anchor slipping away. And I had complicated feelings this time too, but a lot of that had to do with how she was remembered during the funeral. So this man who preached the funeral had preached my grandfather's funeral as well. And apparently they were somewhat close, but he didn't seem to know my grandmother very well. He told stories he'd heard from the family, but he didn't have firsthand knowledge and for... You know, family members, it was obvious. He mentioned the cabin checks that my grandmother was known for out at camp at Camp Rock Creek. And he followed up by saying, "Uh, So you better be in your cabin by curfew when Miss Ruth comes. But that's not what the cabin checks were. I went to that camp. I know what it was. She had high expectations for how campers maintained their sleeping quarters. And every morning we were expected to make our beds and tidy up our belongings and sweep out our cabin, get ready for inspection. I don't remember if she came around with an actual white glove, but I remember that being a joke. It wasn't enough to just like clean up your cabin though, because there was a competition um, every day and then like overall for the week. And if you cared about winning, you would go above and beyond. Uh, Maybe you would like arrange the stones outside the cabin door into a a lovely little walkway. You might pick fresh flowers or leave a little sign expressing your appreciation for Miss Ruth. And so as he was preaching, I found myself angry and sad that this man who didn't even really know her was delivering this sermon at her funeral. And I mean, he talked with the family, you know, he got a lot of things right, but I still had these big feelings about the picture that emerged. When Papa died, it was natural that the focus was mostly on his service to the church. And she was such a partner with him in that. It's natural, you know, that again, the focus would be on her service to the church. I would say the sermon was like 80 to 90% about her service to the church. All volunteer, of course, never recognized as ministry, of course, because she's a woman. And then the other 10 or 20% was, was stories, and what felt so obviously missing, um, to me at least was any mention of her love for her family. Like where was any, uh, mention of how much she loved being a mother, a grandmother, a sister, an aunt, a daughter, a wife, a friend. I'm not sure actually, um, that the word love was ever mentioned other than to say how much she loved the church, maybe about how much she loved Louis, my grandfather, And again, I mean, the church took center place in her life. No one would argue with that. Just like my grandfather, her service to the church was her legacy. And I think that's okay. It's just not the legacy that I want for myself. I want my family to remember the different accents I used and how I would talk in different voices when I read to them. I want them to remember every ridiculous new eating trend that I tried and all the gluten-free baking experiments gone wrong. I want them to remember spontaneous dance parties in the kitchen and, and the unhurried, unplugged camping trips with friends. I want them to remember the amazing vacations that we took as a family, and all the digital photos that we never did anything with. I want them to remember how we ate dinner together every night and talked about our days. I want them to remember snuggles and tickles and kisses goodnight, and I want them to remember that mom was there, that that I listened to them, that I cared about their life. Um, I want them to remember how known and seen and loved they were to me. On these cold, dark winter mornings, when I pull out that tiny cast iron skillet that's older than I am, that I brought back with me from Oklahoma City, I think about the life that I want to live and how I want to be remembered. I think about Ruth and how wholeheartedly she served the church and woke up every day seeking to be the wife of noble character. And I think about what my life well-lived might sound like one day. There's definitely going to be a lot of music, dancing, funny voices, laughter, travel, games, all kinds of fun stuff. I don't know if our current home will be the family home that our children bring their children back to one day, but I hope that regardless of the address on the mailbox, the six of us collectively will always feel like that family home for each other, that we will be the roots and we will hold the memories for each other. And even if we find ourselves with no other blood relations living nearby, we will find good friends who can come and be part of our family too. Grandmother Ruth taught me so much, but this is perhaps the greatest lesson her death imparted, to nurture and cultivate, care for, and be that home for our family. If today you find yourself on the outside, Without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash Jen Hale And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at Jen Hale Christie lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next time.